Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim by Robert C. O'Brien. Chapter 1. The Sickness of Timothy Frisbee. Mrs. Frisbee, the head of a family of field mice, lived in an underground house in the vegetable garden of a farmer named Mr. Fitzgibbon. It was a winter house, such as some field mice move to when food becomes too scarce and the living too hard in the woods and pastures. In the soft earth of a bean, potato, pea, and asparagus patch, there is plenty of food left over for mice after the human crop has been gathered. Mrs. Frisbee and her family were especially lucky in the house itself. It was a slightly damaged cement block, the hollow kind with two oval holes through it. It had somehow been abandoned in the garden during the summer and lay almost completely buried, with one bit of one corner showing above ground, which is how Mrs. Frisbee had discovered it. It lay on its side in such a way that the solid part of the block formed a roof and a floor, both waterproof, and the hollows made two spacious rooms. Lined with bits of leaves, grass, cloth, cotton, and fluff, feathers, and other soft things Mrs. Frisbee and her children had collected, the house stayed dry, warm, and comfortable all winter. A tunnel to the surface earth of the garden, dug so that it was slightly larger than a mouse and slightly smaller than a cat's foreleg, provided access, air, and even a fair amount of light to the living room. The bedroom formed by the second oval was a warm but dark even at midday. A short tunnel through the earth behind the block connected the two rooms. Although she was a widow, her husband had died only the preceding summer, Mrs. Fribri was able, through luck and hard work, to keep her family. There were four children, happy and well-fed. January and February were the hardest months. The sharp, hard cold that began in December lasted until March, and by February the beans and peas had been picked over, with the help from the birds. The asparagus roots were frozen into stone. The potatoes had been thawed and refrozen so many times that they'd acquired a slimy structure and a rancid taste. Still, the Frisbees made the best of what there was. The one way or another, they kept them from being hungry. Then one day, at the very end of February, Mrs. Frisbee's younger son, Timothy, fell sick. That day began with a dry, bright, icy morning. Mrs. Frisbee woke up early, as she always did, and her family slept close together in a cold bed of down, fluff, and bits of cloth they had gathered, warm as a ball of fur. She stood up carefully so as not to awaken the children, and walked quietly through the short tunnel to the living room. Here. It is not so warm, but not really cold either. She could see from the light filtering down the entrance tunnel that the sun was up and bright. She looked at the food in her pantry, a hollowed out space lined with small stones in the earth behind the living room. There was plenty of food for breakfast and lunch and dinner too, for that matter, but still the sight depressed her, for it was the same tiresome fare they'd been eating every day, every meal for the last month. She wished she knew where to find a bit of green lettuce or a small egg or a taste of cheese or a muffin. There were eggs in plenty not far off in the hen house, but hens and hegs' eggs are far too big for a field mice to cope with. And besides, between the garden and the hen house, there was a wide sward of shrubs and grass, some of it grown up quite tall. Cat territory. She climbed up the tunnel, emerging, whiskers first, and looked wearily around. The air was sharp, and there was white frost thick on the ground and on the dead leaves at the edge of the wood across the garden patch. 
Mrs. Frisbee set off over the gently furrowed earth, and when she reached the fence, she turned right, skirting the border of the forest, searching for her bright round eyes, with her bright round eyes, for a bit of carrot, a frozen parsnip, or something green. But there was nothing green at that time of year, but the needles on the pine tree and the leaves on the holly, neither of which a mouse or any other animal, for that matter, can eat. But then straight in front of her, she did see something green. She had reached the far corner of the garden, and there was the edge of the woods where it met the fence, was a stump. In the stump there was a hole, and out of the hole protruded something that looked like a leaf. But it was not. Mrs. Frisbee had no trouble at all going through the wire fence, but she approached the hole cautiously. If the stump was hollow as it seemed to be, there was no telling who or what might be living in it. A foot or so from the hole, she stopped and stood still and watched and listened. She could hear no sound, but from there she could see the green wa- what the green was. It was, in fact, a yellowish-brownish green, a bit of sweet corn husk. But what was a sweet corn husk doing there? The cornfield was in a different part of the farm altogether, away beyond the pasture. Mrs. Frisbee hopped closer and then carefully crept up the side of the stump and peered inside. When her eyes got used to the dark, she saw what she had found. A treasure. A winter's supply of food, carefully stored and then, for some reason, forgotten and abandoned. But stored by whom? A raccoon, perhaps. Not very likely. So far from the stream. More likely a squirrel or a groundhog. She knew that both of these felt free to help themselves to the new corn each year and that they were strong enough to carry ears away and store them. But whoever had done it, why had they abandoned the store? And when she remem- and then she remembered, back in November there had come from near the edge of the woods the sound that sends all animals in the forest shivering to their hiding places, the sound of hunter's guns shooting, the sound that is accompanied by someone by a fiery stabbing pain, for someone by a fiery stabbing pain, and then he never needs his stored food again. Still, since Mrs. Frisbee did not even know what kind of animal it had been, much less the name, she could not shed many tears over him, and food was food. It was not the green lettuce she had longed for, but she and her children were extremely fond of corn, and there were eight large ears in the stump, a noble supply for a mouse family. Down under the corn, she could see a pile of fresh peanuts from still another part of the farm, some hickory nuts and a stack of dried, sweet-smelling mushrooms. With her paws and sharp teeth, she pulled off part of the husk from the top of the ear and folded it double to serve as a crude carrying bag. Then she pulled loose as many of the yellow kernels as she could easily lift, and putting them in a husk bag, she hopped briskly for her home. She would come back for more after breakfast and bring the children to help. She backed down the tunnel entrance to her house, tail first, pulling the corn after her and calling cheerfully as she went, Children, wake up, see what I have for breakfast, a surprise. They came hurrying out, rubbing their eyes in excitement, for any kind of surprise in food was a rare and festive thing in the cold and dead of winter. Teresa, the oldest, came first. Crowding close behind her was Martin, the biggest, a strong, quick mouse, dark-haired and handsome like his poor father. Then came Cynthia, the youngest, a slim, pretty girl mouse, light-haired and, in fact, a little light-headed as well and over-fond of dancing. 
Where is it, she said. What is it? Where's the surprise? Where's Timothy? asked Mrs. Frisbee. Mother, said Teresa concerned, he says he's sick and he can't get up. Nonsense. Martin, tell your brother to get out of bed at once and he'll or he'll not get any breakfast. Martin ran to the bedroom obediently, but came back in a moment alone. He says he feels too sick and he doesn't want any breakfast, even a surprise. I felt his forehead and it's burning hot. Oh dear, said Mrs. Frisbee. That sounds as if he really is sick. Timothy had, on occasion, been known to think he was sick when he was really not. Here you may all have your breakfast, save Timothy's, and I'll go and see what's wrong. She opened up the green carrying bag and put the corn on the table, divided it into five equal shares. The dining table was a smooth piece of lathe supported on both ends by stones. Corn, shouted Martin. Oh, mother, where did you get it? Eat up, said Mrs. Frisbee, and a little later I'll show you because there's a lot more where this came from. And she disappeared into a little hallway that led to the bedroom. A lot more, Martin repeated as he sat down with his two sisters. That sounds like enough to last till moving day. I hope so, said Cynthia. When's moving day anyway? Two weeks, said Martin authoritatively. Maybe three. Oh, Martin, how do you know, protested Teresa. What if it stays cold? Anyway, suppose Timothy isn't well enough. At this dreadful thought, so casually raised, they all grew worried and fell silent. Then Cynthia said, Teresa, you shouldn't be so gloomy. Of course he'll be well. He's just got a cold, that's all. She finished eating her corn and so did the others. In the bedroom, Mrs. Frisbee felt Timothy's forehead. It was indeed hot and damp with sweat. She took the pulse, his pulse and dropped his wrist in alarm as to what she felt. Do you feel sick to your stomach? No, mother. I feel all right, only cold. And when I sit up, I get dizzy and I can't get my breath too well. Mrs. Frisbee peered anxiously at his face and would have looked at his tongue, but in the dark room she could see no more than the dim outline of his head. He was the thinnest of her children and had a dark complexion like her father and brother. He was narrow face. His eyes were unusually large and bright and shone with an intensity of his thought when he spoke. He was, Mrs. Frisbee knew, the smartest and the most thoughtful of her children though she would never have admitted it out loud. But he was also the frailest, and when the colds or flu or virus infections came around, he was the first to catch them and the slowest to recover. And he was also, perhaps as a result, something of a hypochondriac. But there was no doubt he was really sick this time. His head felt as if it had a high fever and his pulse was very fast. Poor Timothy, lie down and keep covered. She spread him over some of the bits of cloth they used as blankets. After a while, we'll fix you a pallet in the living room so you can lie out there in the light. I found a fine supply of corn this morning, more than we can eat for the rest of winter. Would you like some? No, thank you. I'm not hungry, not now. He closed his eyes, and in a few minutes he went to sleep. But it was a restless sleep, in which he tossed and moaned continually. In mid-morning, Mrs. Frisbee, Martin, and Cynthia set off for the stump to carry home some more of the corn and some peanuts and mushrooms. The hickory nuts they would leave, for they were too hard for a mouse's jaws to crack and too tedious to gnaw through. They left Teresa at home to look after Timothy, whom they had wrapped up and helped into a temporary sickbed in the living room, 
When they returned at lunchtime, carrying heavy loads of food, they found her near tears from worry. Timothy was much worse. His eyes looked wild and strange from fever. He trembled continuously, and each breath he took sounded like a gasp for life. Teresa said, Oh, Mother, I'm so glad you're back. He's been having nightmares and shouting about monsters and cats when I talk to him. He doesn't hear me at all. Not only was Timothy not hearing with his ears, his eyes, though wide open, were not seeing, or if they were, he was not recognizing what he saw. When his mother tried to talk to him, to hold his hand and ask him how he felt, he stared past her as if she did not exist. Then he gave out a long, low moan and seemed to be trying to say something, but the words would not form properly and made no sense at all. The other children stared in frightened silence. Finally, Martin asked, Mother, what is it? What's wrong with him? He's terribly ill. His fever is so high, he's become delirious. There's nothing for it. I'll have to go and see Mrs. Agus. Mr. Agus, Timothy must have some medicine. 